let me maybe even go a little step back. Um, based on Next 2, it was like the core. We always try to keep the core very lean, right? So it's not super bloated or everything. Um, and the problem back with Next 2 was like, okay, it was all very tightly coupled to Next itself. So with Next 3, the idea was, okay, let's create standalone packages that could be used with anything. It doesn't have to be Next at all. It could be... You could build your own Nux, basically, with that. And one of these packages is called Nitro. Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket. PodRocket is a podcast brought to you by LogRocket, which is an all-in-one solution for weekend devs or enterprise teams combining session replay, error tracking, and product analytics to help solve user-reported issues. You can find bugs faster and improve conversion and adoption. Go grab a free trial at LogRocket.com today. Today, we have a very special guest, Alexander Leakcher, a software developer, open-source enthusiast, and all-around tech wizard. Alexander got into computers by... Playing Minecraft, it's probably a source story that a lot of people can hold common to their hearts. And now he's working on some of the coolest projects in the tech world. We're going to be talking about Nuxt, View, the two of the most exciting frameworks in web development today, and specifically going in some of the changes between Nuxt 2 and Nuxt 3 and how it's more than just View on steroids. Alex has contributed directly to these repositories, and we're going to focus in on one thing that, Alex, I know you've spent time on, which is the extends thing that has come out in version three. So welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Um, I, I don't even have to add anything. That was a brilliant introduction. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So how long have you been in this ecosystem, the View Nuxt ecosystem? It really sounds like you're you're a pro at it because you're contributing to these repos like left and right. Yes. So I started using View Nuxt in 2017. And I joined the core team in September 2018. So yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> so what was your like number one most proud contribution for Nuxt3 if we were to start off on one? That's that's a tough one, actually, because I think it's not that much code, I would say. It's more like sharing examples, like documenting some features. And of course, the, the talk on Extends, which you already mentioned, the feature that uh, I gave at uh, Nuxt Nation. People were uh, pretty happy about that and uh, seeing that feature coming up because this is something that, according to my knowledge, on, only Nux as a framework has right now and that makes it quite special. So yeah, I would say that. And I think besides that, more like, yeah, being part of the community, helping other people, it's not like that one single moment. It's like, oh yeah, that's it. It's more like, yeah, doing that for, for more than uh, four years now and always yeah, trying to, to contribute and uh, helping other developers. Yeah, the talk that you gave on Extends really motivated me to check out Nuxt as somebody who's come from other like frameworks as well. Because correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm going to try to tell the audience about how exciting this is. But it was essentially some way for me to take a starter template from somebody else that has worked and directly bring it into my code and say like, hey, I'm extending this, I'm extending this, and I can do it in several layers. Could could you like, could we get into that? So why is that so powerful? Why is it groundbreaking? And why don't you think other frameworks offer that? Why is Nuxt special? It's, it's a very good summary of that. Exactly. The idea is you have any kind of application and you can just build your application upon that. So it's especially nice for, for companies to like, okay, we have one core product, but we have several clients that need like another white label solution or that need a feature here or an adapter there. Like, oh, one person uses, I don't know, Shopify, the other one uses a big commerce or whatever. So to integrate that or like, okay, the branding is different. Usually what you do is you either have different branches with like lots of, uh, then, 
code changes, you have to merge it back to, to the develop or the main branch if you want to change all the things in uh, other branches too. So it's quite a hassle to maintain that. And with Extends, you can say, okay, have like a base application that contains all the logic that's necessary for all the clients, for all the different instances, so to say. And then you can build your instances on top of that. So you don't have to like rewrite or like copy and paste all the logic again and again. And yeah, then also you can override components to say like, okay, this component should be different uh, for that client or for that instance. And once again, it's not limited to like one or two layers. You can do that with as many layers as you want. So yeah. What's a layer? Um, a, a layer is basically some kind of application. So a base layer is so like you have this, this base instance. It can be anything. It can even be just like a, a component library. And you say another Nuxt project is based on this partial or yeah Nuxt application. So each layer, so to say, could be an own Nuxt application. Usually it's like you start with like a component library or some composables and utilities. And then you say, for example, okay, um, I have a target that should be for websites and another one for apps that use it as a web view. So we have another like small Nuxt application, target app, target web, for example, that are based on the base one. And then from there you say, okay, that should be for this and this client or this and this client, or it should be that kind of white label. Immensely powerful. Yes, you you can do all the things with that. It's it's so great because again, like you have all really grouped by concern to say, okay, if you change something in the base, you know it has impact possibly on all the other projects. But if you change something in the code base of like one certain instance, you know it will only change that. So you also are like more secure when you change code and you're not like worried, okay, how do I merge that back to to the other instances? How do I do I do that? It's all very nicely grouped. And yeah, it works pretty well. That sounds like it's nicely grouped for like in like how do I mark my silos of functionality and update them independently and, and not have all this mess. One area of concern that immediately pops in my head is like, okay, what if I have like, because a Nuxion viewer getting into like server side or static, you can do hybrid rendering. What if I'm running to like extends where I have a static site and now suddenly, because it's I'm in nice static land and they're throwing some server side logic at me. What sort of like guarantees or processes or things do you, are available in the Extends ecosystem and API that let me think about this and keep track of it? So the good thing is that um, also the config itself, so the next config, the central point of configuration, that's also in the end merged for all these layers. So for example, if one base layer says like, okay, yeah, that route should be like statically generated, but then you can even say, okay, like let's override that rule. Um, I want everything of that that being service that rendered or say like, no, okay, let's keep that. Let's only service that rendered the new routes I add. So yeah, the, the big benefit there as well is that, that you have all the control in the like, like bottom most layer, like more specific layer to override all the changes or keep them. So it really feels like it's almost like a package manager for the Nuxt land. It's like, I know how to take this in and out of a Nuxt project and hook up the pipes. It's not just me installing something. Yes, exactly. And the good thing is you can even use it with like NPM package. You can, for example, publish like a template, as I said before, as NPM package and extend based on the package. Very neat. I Yeah, this feels like it's... In my intro, I was like, tell me why this is more than just view on steroids. But this like feels like view on steroids because it's like as a developer, I can immediately reach for these like prefabbed piece of functionality. Uh, when we stepped into the podcast, you were saying, I, I asked like, what is your most like proud contribution? You're like, well, it's a lot of documentation process, like all the all this sort of stuff. And I think it really speaks to like where we are in the developer world right now, where it's like right now it's about efficiency, becoming lean, becoming quick. And these types of updates you're talking about are right in line with that. 
what is what is another area that you you worked on personally in two to three or that you saw your colleagues working on that excites you? I, I'm very happy we have like regular team meetings and then like try some issues with discussion topics. So I also really like the whole topic of SEO, similar to Harlan, which is another Next uh, team member. So this was very interesting. Um, in Next 2, we had the, the trading slash behavior. So whenever you have a site for SEO, you want uh, either have a trading slash at the end or not. It really depends. But you want to have a, like for every URL, it should be either always with the trading slash or without. Um, so otherwise, both are accessible and then search engines like Google could say, hmm, that is like a duplicate content and it uh, can like reduce your crawl budget and it's not good for SEO to keep it very short. So in Next2, we had an, an option to say, okay, either you, we always have the trading slash or not. And yeah, I was thinking about, okay, we don't have that in Next3 right now. Maybe we can somehow bring that back. So I wrote a little issue and then we discussed it with the team. So like, okay. Um, we take a few actions here, and this is something I, I want to implement. Well, this week is almost over, but probably next week. We said, okay, uh, want to give the user an opportunity to say, okay, look, whenever you use a Nuxt link, which is the link component in Nuxt.js, then it should have always a trading slash or not. And you can decide that by, in the end, like calling a simple function, saying like create Nuxt link and then say trading slash behavior, either like add it, remove it, or don't care, which is the default. Um, so this is something that we came up in the end and that I am eager to implement so that all that uh, SEO topic um, of internal linking, having the right trading slash will be resolved easily. And it's not a nice part of developer experience for the devs. Yeah, and a really nice experience for people who just don't have the bandwidth to get into SEO. I mean, there are plenty of developers who can make a bang in website, but they don't know how the web, web crawler ecosystem works. So really powerful. Again, it's like right up the alley of like, it's on steroids. Like I can put out a production app and not be, I can be a jack of all trades expert. If not, I saw a YouTube video that came out and this, this individual was talking about how the, the age of AI and tooling and process is the time for the jack of all trades to surpass the masters of one. Um, I thought it was kind of an interesting precedent, an interesting take on where we're going. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other teams that you've worked on, other open source teams, like, do you feel like you met, you keep mentioning the Nux team? Well, I say keep, you mentioned it twice already. Do you feel like the, the way the team hygiene is set up right now is at a really optimal place? You sound really excited and you're smiling when you're mentioning the team. I, I think it's, it's really good. So for all who are not super up to date with the, the Nux team history right now, um, Daniel took over the lead a few months even ago and shared uh, the vision of Nux for 2023. There are also several talks being uploaded in the future who were at uh, Vujit Amsterdam. So Daniel Puya, Anthony and Sebastian, so all from the uh, Nux team, uh, gave interesting insights uh, about where direction is going and the underlying packages. And all in all, yeah, I think it's it's really nice because it's it's a great collaborative way. We can always like ping each other to like, hey, can we do like a pair programming session? Can we take a look at this? Or mm, I want to take over that area. Can, like, uh, can I get a little heads up? Or have you maybe an idea how to how to get into that? So... Yeah, it's it's a very, I would say, insightful environment. Like, yeah, helping each other, very collaborative. And um, all, all, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with the current state. That's encouraging to hear. It's good to hear when there's like a cohesive team that has like unity behind a framework because we've seen other frameworks maybe like lose that cohesion and things get a little messy down the line and it can be, it can feel like nervous. When a lot of features come out, it can feel nerve wracking sort of to subscribe to those if, thing, if the team's messy. So it's great to hear the cohesion. Yeah, true. I mean, the good thing is now Next3 came out uh, last year, right? So 
Until then, it was also a bit tough. So, okay, what, what should we put into stable release? What do we have to fix? Because obviously, we don't like want to push out next four right out of the window again with more breaking changes. So all, all the things had, like all the people had to keep in mind, like, okay, we can't, maybe can't change that, but we have to find a solution for that issue. That, that I, I think was also um, not that easy, but now it's like, okay, we can focus on nice developer experience, improving it even more, pushing out features. Now it's, it's a really nice time because we can just pushing for these changes um, with all the difficult architectural uh, decisions that might cause breaking changes, at least from what we see, uh, solved kind of, or like at least for the longer time until next four comes out. There's a lot of planning going into how like the developer experience is being shaped. Yeah, that's very important for us because I mean we really enjoy using Nuxt, and we want that the developers who use it have exactly the same experience. So we also know that like there's lots of more things to do regarding documentation, especially of the underlying packages like the server engine Nitro and all the UnJS packages that are used to to build Nuxt. You mentioned Nitro. What is Nitro? So I'm not a Nuxt expert, so please enrich my knowledge. Let me maybe even go a little step back. Um, based on Nuxt 2, it was like the core. We always try to keep the core very lean, right? So it's not super bloated or everything. Um, and the problem back with Nuxt 2 was like, okay, it was all very tightly coupled to Nuxt itself. So with Nuxt 3, the idea was, okay, let's create standalone packages that could be used with anything. It doesn't have to be Nuxt at all. It could be, it can, you could build your own Nuxt basically with that. And one of these packages is called Nitro, which is the server engine. And it's very interesting because uh, you already heard that probably Nuxt can be deployed on so many different platforms. So you don't have like a vendor lock-in and say like, oh, this platform is especially good for Nuxt. Like, yeah, whatever you need. You can deploy it on GitHub pages. You can deploy it, of course, like Netlify or Cell on your own VPS. It doesn't matter. Even like on Cloudflare workers and Deno was also work on progress. So th that's a great feature. And that's actually powered by Nitro because Nitro is saying, okay, we, we can write the whole like server endpoints, so API routes uh, and, and endpoints in Nuxt, but also it will do the whole bundling with, roll, with rollup under the hood. It's it's really insane. In the end, there's like an own tracer for dependencies built in. You could even say it's half a package manager. There we go again. To like find all the dependencies that might have to be added. For example, for, for the Cloudflare workers, you can't have like all the dependencies. You want to have them bundled all in one file. And Nitro is doing all that depending on which preset you pick. So it's very powerful. And once again, you can use it, I would say, similar to, let's say, Express, for example, for any project, basically. I can run something that's sort of running like Express in a Cloudflare worker. Yes, absolutely. That is, that's hilarious because, I mean, we actually, we were talking to uh, Daniel and he was talking about, oh yeah, we have this like new server, like you can really run anywhere. And the first realization is, all, all these Cloudflare providers, these uh, like serverless people, they want to prevent you from using TCP. They're restricting the node environment. And now it's like, well, we we kind of like figured out a different solution. So screw you guys. Like we're going to build it anyways and deploy it wherever we want. The only the only point is to be fair. Yeah, TCP, that's like an actual limitation. So for example, if you want to use MongoDB, that's a bit tricky. We also had an issue to that because I was playing around with that too. They are like workarounds, other solutions for that. So if you, for example, have like a MongoDB on, on MongoDB Atlas, it's not a problem. You can still access it in your Cloudflare worker. So it's not like it's not the the most ever fluent environment because again, like there are some dependencies that are relying on Node. And then you can, I don't know, mock and polyfill, but then you might lose functionality. So there will always be a difference. But the good thing is if you write, for example, any kind of code with, for example, packages from UnJS who meant to be working on any kind of runtime, as you said, like worker environment, node, serverless, you name it. 
then you're pretty sure that this will work on all the presets and all different platforms. So yeah, there's still polyfill going on, but the magic here is that like this ecosystem is going to take care of figuring out, oh, you want to deploy here, you want to deploy here, here's the extra dependencies you needed, here's how you get Nitro running in the environment correctly. That's that's beautiful. And because again, once again, for the for the whole like freedom of choice uh, decisions to like, okay, we don't want you to lock into any kind of platform. And again, it's a great benefit because you can not use Nitro standalone, which also I did for some smaller side projects. And I've also seen that and given a little talk about it uh, in Berlin last year, but okay, all these cool UnJS packages, they're like uh, for like storage solutions for like file in memory and lots, lots of DBs, Cloudflare workers, KV store. Uh, and way, way more. Yeah, there could be could be an own episode about it, actually. And yeah, it's it's amazing to see that others can use that too and utilize the same power because it's not coupled to Nuxt anymore. It's really standalone, which also makes it easier to test, of course. It's like a whole other product. Yes, exactly. And uh, Daniel, actually, good that you mentioned it, uh, built uh, a little example um, pulling up with Nitro and uh, several other packages and React to build like a very simple prototypical like next in react just like for for conference talk so this is this is really fun to see that it just just works with any kind of framework in the end if you can do it like if if, if he did do it he did, can do it somebody else is going to like carry on that torch for sure so that would be interesting yeah i would love to see that i love this day and age where we're walking into like astro you can use any web framework and now i mean the the guts of nuxt internally are, are starting to walk in that same direction, whether that's intended or not. But it's it's really interesting and really cool to see. I think it, it is definitely intended to say like, yeah, look, it's open source in the end, right? So if you want to use that, then please do it. We actually have it in a nice and prepared way. You don't have to like copy paste the code. You can just use the package. So browser support in Nuxt. Also, I was when I was like searching up the updates for what's going on, I found this blog post that said boosting all the browsers. So what is happening with browser support in Nuxt 3? Yeah, so compared to Nuxt 2, who still had um, and still has uh, to support i11, right, with Vue 2 as well, there there were some things we could do to like, okay, let's deliver modern, un- like non-transparent code to the Evergreen browsers and like the legacy code to the rest. But now that's like Vue 3 doesn't support i11 anymore and hopefully lots of people don't have to anymore. We can focus on, okay, delivery experience to the modern browsers, right? So we don't have any kind of legacy fallback because it would not work with, with Vue 3 as well because it's built on proxies and they're not available in IE 11. So yeah, what, what we do by default is like deliver them, yeah, so to say, most modern, as least transpiled as possible based on like, I don't know, last three versions, I think uh, I can check that later. And yeah, ensure that there won't be like any extra transpiled code which is slower and bigger sent to the browsers. And besides that, of course, it's smaller now, like, Thanks to Vue 3's tree shakeability and Nuxt 3's tree shakeability as well, we say like, okay, if we don't use, for example, layouts in the application, they're not part of it. They're like just tree shaken out automatically. And there are so many more improvements yet to come, especially the whole area talking about like the performance you mentioned Astro already, the, the island architecture. This is, I think, something that's really interesting for the future. And I love that also Nuxt is, uh, or like the, the team is going that direction and trying things out there. The island architecture is extremely compelling, and I'd love to pick your brain for a moment about like static site generation and and how Nuxt is moving in that direction. Um, and and we have this continuing, continually changing front end ecosystem about like when I first started, it was just like plain HTML and CSS basic websites, and now we're doing like server side and islands and then static and all that. It's, you really need to be nimble as a front end developer to keep up with what's going on. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. Actually, I'm, I'm writing my thesis right now about exactly the topic like server-side rendering and SPAs and all the modern approach and that it's so fast-paced and changing. So it's it's crazy. But yeah, regarding the, the components, islands, it's called Nux. So the thing is, Nux itself, you can run it without JavaScript, just with server-side rendering, right? You can just say, go 0kbjs, that works. For example, the, the website Nux.new, where you can just like start a new playground for a Nux project, that has that enabled. So it has zero kilobytes of JS. But if you want to go in a direction other, like the actual island architecture goes, it's a bit more complicated. Because right now, we have um, an experimental approach that's inverse that a little bit to say like, okay, we can define components that are so-called server components. So they are executed only on the server. So that means no hydration, no extra JavaScript downloaded for them. Um, that works through another handler in, that's implemented in Nitro for Nux. So say like, okay, I give the component name, the ID, some properties, and it will evaluate and render on the server, pass in the HTML, and will just bring that in the application. Which also has the benefit that you can even update that. So if a prop change, we do another HTTP request, get the new component. So this is a little bit of inverted to say, okay, let's render some parts only on the server and the majority on the client. Um, because again, there's lots of work to be done there. It's still experimental. But just from like future perspective, what if we say, let's make the whole app itself a server component and then specify certain components that are rendered on the client as well. So that's an idea that, that we're trying to look into that uh, definitely could be worth checking out. You have to do it that way because you're starting from the server point of view and then you're... Exactly. I, you know taking it to the client as needed. Gotcha. And we're getting faster websites, faster build times, all this great stuff. Do you feel like having hybrid rendering increases the surface area complexity for front-end developers? Like riffing off of that statement we just touched on? Yeah, I already, when, when I was taught the first time or I learned the first time about server-side rendering, I was like, okay, when I already got it and explained it to people again and again, it's like, yeah, it's, it's such a nice feature, but it's adding lots of complexity. And now that we can we can say, okay, this page should be server and that should be pre-rendered before on build time. That should be like stay where we revalidate. That should be just like statically rendered on demand and kept in the cache. Yeah, that that all of course increases the complexity and the, the mental payload. But if you want to have an application that uses all that, it has to be complex. That's the thing. Um, if you want the best performance, then then that's the way to go. That's also a good thing is you don't have to start with all that right away. You can build your application then with Nux, say, okay, let's transform that part into something that uh, should be rendered like on the server only. So change that component to a server component. Or let's say, okay, let's um, pre-render these three sites um, or like uh, routes um, on the server uh, before, or, like on demand. So you can go gradually step by step. But yeah, I, I think it also adds complexity that's, very difficult to avoid. But if you do it step by step and you, like, you learn uh, during that, I think it's more manageable than just having like, okay, all the possibilities and doing lots of things at once. It, yeah, I totally agree with you. Just got to trust the process. You go step by step, add complexity as you needed. And I'll, I'll also take a moment here to just add, if you're adding complexity to your web app and things are getting really crazy and debugging is getting harder, I'll remind our listeners that this podcast is sponsored by LogRocket. And LogRocket can help you understand exactly how users are experiencing your digital product. Uh, it offers session replay, error tracking, can see heat maps right in the UI, component by component, product analytics, frustration indicators. You can actually, it's good for developers. You can break down error tracking and all sorts of other very interesting metrics about how your 
DOM is interacting with your users. Um, in addition to machine learning algorithms that surface the most impactful issues affecting your users, you can spend more time building a better product rather than hunting through your tools. So yeah, solve user-reported issues faster, find those bugs, and improve conversion adoption with LogRocket today. Turning real quickly back to the complexity problem. Yeah, when I first stepped into server-side rendering, Alex, like I had no idea what was going on. The frameworks do such a good job at like tying together or abstracting server-side rendering where you don't need to think about it as a front-end developer that you don't think about it. Absolutely. But it's also dangerous, of course, because you kind of have to know what's going on. And then if, if there's like an error and you're like, okay, what's happening there? Or like the, the daunting hydration errors. It's always like a, a topic. I wrote like a longer blog post about it like a couple of years ago. It's like, okay, what is this actually? Yeah, when the server sends something, the client expects something different. And then, okay, how can that happen? Uh, what are typical patterns to avoid? All that. It's, it's lots of knowledge that ideally every developer using SSR has, but it's not the ideal word. Of course, it's not the case. I feel like there's a there's two types of JavaScript developers now. There's like you can use a framework and code in the framework and still make a production app with all the tools and stuff. But to understand the difference between using TS Node and Node to run a script is like you need some deep knowledge, honestly, to kind of like get down there and really understand what you're doing. So, Alex, who do you think uh, Nux three or View three this combo the pair of technologies is poised to best serve? Or what does it pivot towards the audience? Do you feel like there's a pivot in audience about who might be using the framework from two to three, or a set of customers that you guys had in mind that the update to two to three maybe helps the most? Because it sounds like it's, there's a lot of tooling and a lot of beginner friendly, like help, you know, and, and, and guidelines. If you have never used like Docs before, or like uh, a view developer has never tried it, then right now it's, it's an amazing time to try with all the improved developer experience. And the route rules so you can like, have hybrid random mode, combine, combine all these things. That's definitely great. But what you also want to achieve, because Vue 2 is going end of life at the end of the year, like end of life and end of 2023, which means inevitably that Nux 2 is also going end of life. So Vue and Nux 2 both going end of life. And that means we want to ensure that the people who still have a Nux 2 application can migrate easier or like we can help them migrating in some way. So yeah, leveraging all the things we have to, we have a migration guide. So things are a bit easier to check like, okay, like a little checklist, checking out what, what people have to care about. Uh, once again, I have to mention Harlan, who did a great job and has longer blog posts about migrating um, because he did it for some of his applications too. And I think that's also very important. So everybody who is on Nux 2 right now is like, yeah, should I stay? Should I migrate? What's the thing? Now, since Next Free Stable is out, it's a really good idea to migrate. Um, and the good thing is you can, again, do it a little incrementally to start like, okay, we can um, use the composition API for lots of components already because it got backported from Vue 3 to Vue 2. So we can do a bit of groundwork there. We can then use Next Bridge as like an intermediate solution. So like, okay, we can try out Next 3 with like a little bit like a compatibility build. And then... Uh, we can say, okay, that, do the functionalities work? Is it is it uh, going well? And then eventually migrate into Next Tree. That's usually um, a decent approach. What you, of course, can also do is say like, you know, oh, it's very complex application. Before we touch everything, let's think about a new architecture and like doing a rewrite. This is also valid. Both is definitely going to work depending also on your application. You choose one or another, of course, and time, budget, yeah, you know. Um, one is more incremental, of course. The other one is more like, yeah, just rough cut. 
which can help. Um, I, I know that from some of my clients who are like, yeah, that's that's a great time. We always want to rewrite. Now we have multiple reasons to do it. Yeah, one of these is definitely advised. Do you feel like uh, the use of extends might come into play for these larger teams trying to incrementally upgrade piece by piece? Or is that kind of an improper use? Yeah, you can, sadly, you cannot extend the next two project. So that's the, that's the downside. But what you can do, of course, if you have a larger application, then to say like, okay, how can we slice that properly? How can we silo it and then create like tinier applications out of it? So again, one, once again, a, a client of mine did exactly this. They used Nox3 and Extends to have a, a variety, like a big application, chunk it into smaller ones, and then in the end, fuse it together and have then teams working on different parts of the application. And they're exactly in their code base. And of course, changing something at the base when they want to. And they know when they touch only theirs, when code might have yeah an influence on others. And that's actually a good, um, good choice there to do that. Are there any other dev tools that you would call out that have come out recently that might help people either migrate or wrangle with their existing code base better? I would say at that point, when I say dev tools, that there are the next three dev tools who came out and they can be really useful. It's not like, for example, the view dev tools, not a Chrome extension, like a browser extension in general. It is part of your application and is embedded uh, in there if you want to add that. So this is extremely helpful to see, for example, what kind of components you use, what routes you use. It is modular, so you can even write your own plugin. Um, and as a demo, that was really funny. Uh, Anthony, um, who built together with uh, Daniel Puya, uh, so the team in the end, showcased that you can even run VS Code in the dev tools. And then when you change something, it will be um, transferred through RPC to your actual files. So you can basically code on your application in the dev tools of your application. That's wild. So yeah, and it's, it's possible for modules to add more and more things there. Once again, Harlan added an OG image preview together with his uh, package that generates OG images for the website. So you can see, oh, that's the OG image generated. Awesome. Perfect. And lots of module offers have even more and more opportunities to integrate their module into the dev tools. So lots of next three dev tools coming out. I mean, VS Code in the browser, RPCing straight to my local host is pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it really feels like, like a cheat code. Also, there is, the, there is the icon module that Sebastian made. And Sebastian added a little module in there to say, like, okay, you can look up for the icon. You can just copy-paste it, go into VS Code tab, put it in there, and you see, thanks to Vite's super fast HMR, the changes directly in the browser. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> and again, there, sky is the limit. <laughs> you guys are running on Vite now, so everything is, like, blazing. Yeah, it's it's so fast. It's it's amazing. Uh, luckily, Next2 had the Vite module as well. But of course, there are some implications on that. You cannot use Webpack Loris and so on. But as Next2 wasn't built on Webpack, then it was a bit difficult for some modules. But yeah, in the end, yeah, the, the change to Vite was so worth it. If if I switch back to Next2 projects, always like, okay, I have a minute now to like go write up some notes uh, or like improve documentation, check the code and then the service app. And the next three, yeah, that never happens. It's just like straight there. Alex, what do you see yourself getting in the weeds with over the next quarter? Yeah, definitely more X3. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I also think uh, I will explore more the 
SEO and performance part of that for sure. And I'm very happy that I can uh, also do a bit more of education. So workshops on Vue, Next, but also JavaScript, TypeScript. I'm happy that I'll give a few more talks and conferences and uh, getting into that, talking to people and kind of understanding their issues. It's also super important, of course, to understand what are the community's actual thoughts, because if you if you know a tool very well, you know all the capabilities, right? Or at least most of them. But as the average Nuxt user, what do they know? What are they aware of? What kind of problems they have? And this is super valuable feedback to get to then incorporate in, okay, we can improve the docs or maybe write the blog post or change something in the code to make things easier. Alex, if people want to follow you to keep tabs on what you're working on, be it the SEO kit stuff or whatever it might be, where can people follow you? Yeah, um, so I am on Twitter as long as the platform still exists. Um, I think the link is then, like the, the username is also in the show notes then. Um, it's at the Alex Lichter, so my full name. Um, not that easy. On GitHub, um, I am there as well. There, my nickname is um, Manny L, M-A-N-N-I, capital L. I think the easiest is going to my website um, or blog, which I hope to resurrect, uh, let's say, in the next half year, something like that. Um, because, yeah, I want to write more in-depth blog posts. Um, there are lots of things that uh, I think people would like to know about, but um, not that much suited for documentation because it's too lengthy. Yeah, I think that these are uh, two good ways. I also have Mastodon. That's also both linked on GitHub or on Twitter. So feel free to follow me there as well. Yeah, I, I think that's it. That's great. That That's a good host of things. So you got the website, the Twitter, and your blog. It was a pleasure to have you on, Alex. A pleasure to talk about Nux3. And specifically extends that. That's cool. I'm excited to like read about that. I'm glad to hear that you got excited, and I hope uh, many of the listeners too. And as usual, if there are any questions, please feel free to shoot me a message um, on any of these channels or on the Discord as well, on the on the next Discord. Uh, I'm happy to answer all of them. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Alex. <laughs>